Father, we thank you for the gift of your word. We thank you for the gift of your spirit who, as he works within us, illuminates your words to us. Illuminate them again this morning, we pray, so that we may respond in the right way for your praise and for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to begin by asking the most divisive question uh, that there is. Who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? Turn to somebody. Uh, and how would you respond, or how would those outside the church respond to that question? What do we reckon? Shout something out. Savior? Son of God? Son of man? I missed one at the front. Healer? Messiah? God incarnate? Prophet, priest, and king. These are all good Sunday school answers, aren't they? Well, we'll see in a minute. Uh, that you're his. There are lots of ways that we would answer that, and there are lots of ways <clears throat> the world outside would answer that question. Uh, Jesus was a myth. He was just a teacher. He taught some good things, some helpful things for us to live by. He was just a man. Uh, we've listed a lot of other things that uh, people might say uh, as well. Gandhi uh, said, I cannot ascribe exclusive divinity to Jesus. He is as divine as Krishna or Rama or Muhammad or Zoroaster. However you pronounce that, I'm not sure. Um, to him, he's just one among many. But it's a divisive question because as Christians, uh, we hold to Jesus is God, he's divine. Yet, for many, uh, that could never be. But that is at the heart of what we believe as Christians. The deity of Jesus, that he is Emmanuel, God with us. When we read the scriptures, uh, it is plain for us to see that that is who Jesus is. And that's an exclusive claim and that doesn't sit well uh, with the world around us. But it's important that we are clear on our understanding of who Jesus is. And so Paul, this morning, we're going to backtrack a little bit from our reading uh, and look at verse 15 uh, onwards. Paul wants the Colossians and he wants us uh, to hold firm to the truth of who Jesus is and not to be swayed by other things that are said about him. And so Paul wants to remind them and show them the supremacy of Christ in all things. And he does that first of all in creation. Verse 15, the son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. Does that remind you of any verse in the Bible? It takes us back to Genesis. Do you remember what God said 
Let us make man in our image. It takes us back to the creation of humanity as we are made in the image of God. But notice the slight difference in this verse. We're made in the image of God. Jesus is the image of God. Jesus makes the invisible visible. He is the one who embodies in human flesh the same identity as God. Jesus is God. He's the true, perfect image of God, the exact likeness of the invisible God. We read in Philippians chapter 2, who being in very nature God, as Paul again speaks of Jesus there. The beginning of Hebrews uh, verse one, uh, chapter 1, verse 3. The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. Uh, and Jesus said in John's Gospel, chapter 14, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. Jesus makes the invisible visible. He is uh, God in flesh. It's a great mystery to try and get our heads round the eternal God veiled in flesh. Yet that's who Jesus is. Paul goes on and says that he is firstborn over all creation. Now, firstborn can mean the one born first. So, in the fourth century, uh, somebody called Arius claimed that Jesus was a created being. And that led to the Nicene Creed, wherein that we uh, proclaim that we believe in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father. God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made of one being with the Father. So that came about in response to uh, that idea that Jesus was a created being. But he, he isn't. And so what does firstborn in this context mean? Firstborn here refers to his status. And so just as the firstborn in a Jewish family uh, held the privileged rank or status, the one who would inherit Jesus uh, is firstborn over all creation. He's the one uh, with supreme rank and position of all things, not as one created, but as we'll see in a moment, as one who created all things. Israel in Exodus is called God's firstborn. So that is not referring to those who were born first, but it's referring to in God's eyes, they hold that first position among all the nations. In Psalm 89, uh, a psalm that speaks of the Messiah, uh, it says, and I will appoint him to be my firstborn, speaking about the Messiah. But then he goes on to define what that means. The most exalted of the kings of the earth. Jesus being firstborn all over creation, he's the one who holds that firstborn position of 
the exalted king over creation because he is the one who created all things. Verse 16, for in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. Jesus is the eternal God. He isn't a created being because he is the one who created all things. He created everything. Everything. All the things that we know of, God, Jesus created. All the things that we don't know of, that we haven't discovered or haven't seen, Jesus is the one who made it all. Verse 17 continues, He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. So Jesus, the eternal God, wasn't a created being. Rather, he is the one who created all things. And as the one who created all things, he is the one who was before all things. You'll remember in John's Gospel, where he's talking with the Jews, he says, before Abraham was born, I am. Jesus is the eternal God. He was there before all things because he created all things. And as the one who created all things, he is the one who keeps all things going. He's the one who sustains his creation. He holds everything in place. If one thing in the universe was slightly out of position, the whole thing would collapse. Yet Jesus is the one who perfectly holds all things together. And if he was to stop holding all things together, all things would fall apart. And so Paul begins by reminding them and showing them once again that Jesus is supreme over creation. He's the one who made all things as the God-man, the, um, the eternal God veiled in flesh. That is the Jesus who walked this earth 2,000 years ago. That is the same Jesus who they have heard about and that we have heard about. And Paul goes on <clears throat> to show how Jesus is supreme over his new creation. Verse 18, and he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. Christ is the head of the church. He is the life giver of the church. He is the one who gives the church its life and its direction. He is the source of life in the church as the beginning and as the firstborn from among the dead. And so in this new creation, Jesus is the firstborn, uh, in a sense, the first of many as he sets up this new uh, creation, this new community, which is the church. He is Lord and King over his church. He is preeminent over all creation, over the new creation, the church, because, verse 19 tells us, for God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. 
Jesus is fully God and fully man. He's truly God and truly man. Uh, and again, it's a mystery how that works. I have no idea. But that's what we're told. That's who Jesus is. He is truly God and truly man. And he's the king and lord over his new creation, the church. And that new creation involves us here as a local church in Accrington. We know the world is not as it should be. We can turn the TV on at any time and watch the news and see the world is not right. We can pick up the paper, we can walk down the street, we can be at St. James on a Wednesday afternoon and see all those people there who are coming for food, who are struggling in lots of different ways. Those who come on a Monday and Tuesday morning for breakfast at our breakfast club. We can walk the streets of Accrington and see that the world is not right. We can look back over history in a few weeks. It's Remembrance Day. And we all know the horrors of what took place as we stand and remember on that day. You can search up on Google and it brings up this calculator thing that just keeps ticking over and over again. And it will tell you how many people have been born uh, that day or that year or f for the year. Uh, I had a look uh, last night to discover that over 45 and a half million people have died this year across the world. Staggering number. The world isn't as it should be. There's salvation in the world, there's poverty, there's homelessness. There are so many tragedies in our world. The world is not right, it's not as it should be. And we know that as we turn back to Genesis, and God declared everything to be very good. Well, what went wrong? And people ask, where is God? Why doesn't God do something about it? All this uh, horrific stuff that we see in our world, why doesn't God act and do something? Well, the answer is that he did do something. He did do something. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. Why? Why did Jesus, the, the Son of God, leave the glory of heaven and come to this earth? Well, he came in order to die. He came in order to die on a cross, to shed his blood on a cross so that we might be reconciled to God, so that we might know peace. Verse 20, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by, the make, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Jesus uh, came to this earth. He became God with us to reconcile mankind to God. How? By dying on that cross. By going through uh, the excruciating pain uh, that all uh, the cross entailed. It was reserved for the worst uh, criminal. And if that wasn't enough, the pain of that wasn't enough. On the cross, Jesus also bore the wrath of God. All because 
of our sin. Why is the world not as it should be? It's not as it should be because of us, because we have all rebelled and sinned against the holy God. Yet Jesus was willing in giving his life for us so that we would know peace and be reconciled to God. Verse 21, once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusations. We are alienated from God. Mankind is alienated from God, literally cut off from God because of sin. I remember a few years ago, we were driving at Christmas time uh, and we were through the sort of farmer's fields and places of Rufford and Moors in that sort of area. Um, <clears throat> and there was flooding all over the place. That the fields were flooded, the roads uh, were flooded, and we were cut off from getting down certain roads because uh, of the water. And that is true for us as humanity uh, when it comes to our relationship with God. We are cut off from God. We're, we're enemies, in fact, of God, uh, Paul says. And so we need uh, that reconciliation that only Jesus can bring. We can do nothing in ourselves to restore that. It needed Jesus, uh, the God-man, to come and shed his blood on the cross. There's a story of uh, a man who grabbed a preacher after one of the services. And, and he said to the preacher, I really don't like the way you keep on talking about the cross so much. In my view, it will be far better to preach Christ's example of love instead. The preacher listened carefully. Fair enough. So if I presented him that way, would you be willing to follow him? I certainly would, said the man. In that case, said the preacher, let's take the first step. He lived a perfect life. Can you claim that? The man was taken aback. Of course not. Well, in that case, your greatest need surely is not for a teacher, but for a savior. We all need a savior. Jesus is that savior. The world needs a savior because we've all sinned and we've all fallen short of the glory of God. We've all rejected him and we've all behaved in a way that Paul describes as evil. We've all rejected God as king and put a crown on our own heads and said, I'm going to be king. But thanks be to God that Jesus came and he died on that cross to reconcile us to God, to bring us uh, from a place of hostility to a place of peace. In him, our relationship with God can be restored. And Paul is talking uh, in a complete sense. Uh, they have completely, thoroughly, and totally been reconciled to God in Christ. And nothing will change that. And so this transformation 
that happens is reconciliation and peace that comes leads uh, to a new way of living. We are to live differently in God's new creation. We are to be holy, blameless, free from accusation. In this new life, we're to live holy lives. We're to grow in holiness, growing more and more like Jesus each and every day. And Paul finishes in verse 23. We're to continue in the faith. We're to hold on to the hope that we have. Not moving away from the true gospel, but holding on to the truth of who Jesus is and what he has done for us. So how should we respond to Jesus? Well, let's marvel at him. Let's stand amazed at who he is and what he has done for us. Spend some time this week maybe rereading these words in Colossians and giving thanks and praise to God uh, for Jesus. Rejoicing that we're uh, made new and that we're part of this new creation in him. Marvel at Christ as our savior. We've been reconciled to God in him because he died on that cross for us. We're no longer enemies. We can call God Father. We're reconciled to him in Christ and we know peace. What a savior we have. And we're made holy. So let's continue to live our lives in a way that honors God as holy people set apart for him. Let's continue in the faith, not moving from the hope that we have. Let's encourage one another and remind each other often of that faith that we have and the hope that we hold to. Let's not move away from the glorious truth of the gospel of who Jesus is. He has supremacy over all things. He is creator and sustainer of all things. He is Lord and King over the new creation that he has brought about in his death, the church. Let's be bold in holding on to this truth, uh, even as it looks foolish to the world around us. Uh, and let's be confident as we proclaim uh, who Jesus is and what he has done uh, for all people. I know it might be a bit early, <coughs> excuse me, but I was reminded of the Christmas carol, O Come, O Ye Faithful, and I did wonder whether we should sing it or not, but I thought, maybe not. I don't want to get shouted at. Um, but there's a verse in that um, which I was taken to as I uh, worked my way through this passage this morning. God of God, light of light, Lo, he abhors not the virgin's womb. Very God, begotten, not created. O come, let us adore him. O come, let us adore him. O come, let us adore him. Christ the Lord. Let us adore Jesus uh, for who he is this morning.